All right, let's take a look at our passage today. Um, We have been looking at what we call Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. This is a sermon that Jesus preached early on in his ministry. He's talking to kind of a split crowd. Um, Matthew, who wrote this down and recorded Jesus' sermon for us, calls them his disciples. Those are the people who are following him and want to do what he says. And then the crowd, and those are the people who they're not 100% sure if they believe everything Jesus is saying. They're not necessarily thinking they're going to do whatever Jesus says, but they're really interested And as Jesus teaches, Matthew tells us this crowd, the people who are listening, both his disciples and the people who aren't his disciples, hear in Jesus' teaching, they hear something that's different. And they've heard other teachers before, but all their other teachers have taught in one way, and Jesus teaches in a very, very different way. And Matthew says if if they had to, to kind of pinpoint what is it that's so different about the way Jesus teaches compared to the way all their other teachers have taught, is that when Jesus speaks, they hear a different kind of authority. And that's the word Matthew uses. He says, Jesus spoke with authority, not like their scribes and their teachers. And so when Jesus speaks, he doesn't just say, I've heard this, or I've read this, or I've studied this. Jesus says, I know this because I wrote this. Jesus says, this is truth because I'm the truth. And he has authority because he's the author. And so he has the ability and he has the right to say, this is how things are. This is how things should be. And as we, as his crowd, but also us today, come and read Jesus' words and hear what he teaches, because he's coming with his authority, we're inevitably going to come to places where Jesus' teaching goes against what we're naturally inclined to believe. Because we're not Jesus. And so what we've said as we've looked through this and and heard his teaching is that the choice that we have to make as we hear Jesus' teaching is that when we come to those places where what Jesus teaches bumps against and maybe even contradicts what we're naturally inclined to believe, the question we have to ask ourselves is whose authority are we going to submit to? Are we going to submit to Jesus' authority as the author of life Or are we going to continue to submit to our own authority, believing that we know what's best for ourselves? And with that question in mind, what we've seen is Jesus is saying, look, the way that you approach life and the way that you've approached in the past, even following God, is changed and is different based on who I am and what I have done. And whereas the other teachers of the law and everything within us has said to 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 have a relationship with God and to find fulfillment and to find joy and to find satisfaction, you have to do certain things. You have to follow certain rules. You have to follow certain behaviors. If you do those things, then you'll be happy. Then you'll have joy. Then you'll have peace. Jesus comes in and he says, it's actually different. Because peace, because joy, because satisfaction doesn't come through what you do. It comes from knowing me. And it comes from trusting in who I am and what I've done. And as you trust in me, Jesus says, as you trust in me and you believe in what I've done, you will be transformed. And will you do certain things? Will you live in a different way? You absolutely will. But it won't be because you're trying to do the right things to get certain results. It will be because in your heart you have different desires. Because you want 
different things, and that will lead you to live in a different way. And so Jesus has gone through, and we've looked over the last several weeks at how Jesus has kind of shown us that the way that we think about following rules is incomplete when we compare it to what it looks like to have a heart that's been transformed by his love. Specifically, last week, we were looking at how Jesus taught that we have this tendency to do religious things, but we do them for the wrong reason. We have the wrong motivation. We want to do things like praying and fasting and giving. We want to do those things so that other people will see us. And they'll see us doing good things, and they'll applaud us. And they'll say, that's awesome. You're doing such a good job. You're so spiritual. You're so disciplined. You're so generous. And they'll heap this praise on us, and that will be a reward to us that will fill us with this kind of like approval and give us this sense and this feeling that we're loved by others. And Jesus says, you can do that. And you can do all those good things for that reason. And ultimately, you will get what you're seeking for. Jesus says, if you do good works with the goal of getting the approval of other people, you'll get the approval of other people. But it won't satisfy you. It won't be enough. It won't fulfill you. That true fulfillment, true satisfaction, true reward comes not from doing things for the motivation of other people seeing them and approving. It comes from the motivation of doing them because you've been changed in your heart by God. And that the true reward, and Jesus uses the word reward as he's talking about this, the true reward that we get is not other people saying good job, the reward we get is knowing and growing deeper in God's grace and his love for us. But the problem with that, and this is what was said last week and kind of where we ended and it leads into what we're talking about today. The problem with that kind of reward, the reward of growing in God's love for us, is that it feels so abstract, right? Like the approval of people, their praise, I can see it, I can feel it, I can hear it. I can look at my social media feed and I can check the number of likes and the number of shares that I have right? And, and, and I can give, and somebody comes and says, good job on that. I can hear that. And people nod approvingly and smile at me, and I can take that in and say, those people like me. I can, it's, it's visceral. It's real. The idea of God's love feels, it feels so abstract. And in a lot of ways, it feels so future, so not right now. And it's really, really, really hard to trust, to believe that there's some better reward coming that's actually going to be more fulfilling when the thing I could have is right now and it's right here. And today, what we're going to see is that Jesus says that that's true when it comes to approval. It's maybe even more true when it comes to this very, very common temptation. Maybe it's more common. Maybe it's the most common temptation when it comes to seeking happiness, to seeking satisfaction, to seeking fulfillment, because most of us, if we're honest, seek and desire to have that happiness, to find that kind of security through our finances. So Jesus is going to talk about money. And again, there's going to be things that Jesus is going to say that if we're honest with ourselves, run contrary to the way most of us live our lives. And the question we have to continually ask is, so who do I trust? 
I don't know if you've ever heard economists talk about the idea of opportunity cost. Have you ever heard the term opportunity cost? Here's what it is. Whenever you buy something, there are actually two costs to that purchase. There's the real cost, the money that you spend on it. But there's also the opportunity cost, which is by spending money on that thing, by definition, it means you cannot spend that amount of money on some other thing. So you're making a choice, and the cost is not just the, the, the cash that you're giving, but it's the, the other thing that you can't get. It, like, like if I take my family out for dinner, and I spend $50 on a dinner, the cost in one sense is $50. But the opportunity cost is everything else I could have bought or anything else I could have bought with that $50. I'm not just getting one thing, I'm giving up something else. Does this make sense? It's, you probably, it probably makes a lot of sense to you. You're probably like, yes, of course, move on. We get it. And you're the only one who doesn't understand this. I, I, I think I understand it, okay? So bear with me. But um, in this passage, Jesus is talking about an opportunity cost. It's an opportunity cost not financially, but it's an opportunity cost of trust. When we talk about money, this is really important to understand this morning. When we talk about money, what we're really talking about is trust. Where do we place our faith? What are we counting on to support us? Where we choose to place our trust impacts the direction of our lives. And what Jesus is saying to us this morning is that we cannot trust both in him and in our finances. That's what most of us want to do. We want to diversify our trust. We want to put our trust, our faith, in as many different places as possible. So I'm going to trust in Jesus. I'm also going to trust in my family and my relationships. I'm going to trust in the approval of other people. And I'm going to trust in money. Because if one of those fails me, then I can fall back on the other one. Right? So I'm trusting in money, but if my money fails, falls through, at least I've got Jesus I can fall back on. And at the same time, if Jesus for some reason doesn't come through and the promises he's made don't come true, at least I've got my money to support me. What Jesus is telling us this morning is that that isn't true. I mean, it just doesn't work. That trust, full trust, full faith can't be split and divided. It's in one place or another. We might try to lie to ourselves and we might try to tell ourselves that that we're trusting in Jesus and in money, but it just won't work. That it's one or the other. Most of us believe that money will give us what we most deeply desire. So what we do is we order our lives around money. How can I get more? How can I hold on to what I have? How can I use what I have more effectively? What can I buy? What can I experience? But Jesus says there's an opportunity cost for our desire for money. That the more we lean into and the more we put our faith and our trust in our finances, the more we forfeit our ability to place any trust in him. And what we end up doing when we pursue money, when we trust in money, when we put our faith in money, is, and we're going to see Jesus is going to lead us here, our hearts go towards our finances. And we start to fall in love with money. And the Apostle Paul later on in the New Testament is going to tell us that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. 
And we hear that and we read that and we say, yeah, good thing I don't love money. I just like it. But here's the deal. When you're in a relationship with somebody, it's usually really hard to pinpoint the moment when you moved from like to love, right? I know in movies, there's often that time or, or people are able to articulate, I remember the moment I fell in love with you. And that sounds really romantic, but the truth is, love usually creeps up on us pretty gradually. And what starts as a friendship and turns into a relationship becomes love usually unbeknownst to us. So here's my question. Have you ever had a friend who was in a relationship that you knew was just a bad, bad relationship? Like you saw it, everybody else, all your other friends, they saw it too. And they all knew like, what is she thinking? And there were red flags everywhere, but she was so in love, right? And, and you would get together, and you and your other friends, you get together, and you're like, somebody needs to tell her, right? Because we see where this is headed. They're going to get engaged. This thing's going to be a disaster. Somebody needs to say something. And maybe, I don't know, maybe you've even had that, that, that conversation before with one of your friends. Look, I know you think you're in love. I know you are in love. This is not good, and this is not going to end up well. Okay, that conversation, that's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is looking at us. He's talking to his crowd. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to us today. And he says, I see where this is headed between you and money. I see where this relationship is developing. And I have to warn you. I have to point out to you, this is not a good relationship. And Jesus gives us today three very powerful reasons not to fall in love with money. And so this is like, think of this as we read these verses, as kind of like an intervention, a relationship intervention from Jesus to us. Now here's the good news about that. The reason that that conversation is so hard for you to have with your friend is because when you're in love, you can't imagine being without that person. And the idea of ending that relationship is scary because you don't know what's on the other side. So what Jesus does when he comes to us and says, it's time to end this relationship, he doesn't just say, you got to break it off, you're on your own. This is the good news about Jesus. He offers us something much, much, much better. That he says, everything that you believe that money can give you, I can give you in a much more real and meaningful way. Jesus isn't saying this morning just money is bad. Jesus is saying, I am better. Now, as we get into this and we look at these reasons Jesus gives us not to fall for money, I have to give the usual caveat here because this is anytime you hear a sermon on money, um, or almost anytime, um, you're going to hear the caveat that Jesus isn't saying, Paul isn't saying, God isn't saying that money is evil. He's saying the love of money is evil. That's true, okay? That's true. It does say the love of money is what's evil. Money itself, the idea of money, the concept of money, is neutral, okay? And it can be used in good ways, and it can be used in bad ways. It's not, by itself, on its own, it's not evil. However, 
I also don't want to water down what Jesus is saying, okay? Because most of the time, and I'm including myself in this, most of the time when people say, well, it's not money that's evil, it's the love of money that's evil, most of the time when people say that, it's because they're in love with money, and they don't want you saying anything bad about the money that they're in love with, right? So let's listen to what Jesus has to say, and let's just kind of assume that most of us really struggle with the line between liking and loving when it comes to money, okay? Um, Let me also say this, and and then I want to look at the passage. When we talk about what Jesus is talking about here, loving money, it's not about how much money you have, okay? You can have a lot of money and love money. You can have almost no money and love money. You can, you can be in love with money even if you have very little money. Because, and part of the reason that's true is because absolutely nobody thinks they have very much money. No matter how much money you have, you think you don't have enough. Okay? So Jesus is not saying, watch out for money if you've got a lot of it. He's saying to all of us, we need to be aware of how we feel and how we think about money and finances. So he gives us three reasons. Look at verse 19. The first reason is this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. The first reason Jesus says we should not fall in love with money is because money fades. Money does not last. The things we buy with money, material, so sorry, I keep using the word money. Jesus is not just talking specifically about like cash. Everything, all the material things that you can purchase, that you can own, the stuff of this world is what Jesus is talking about here. And not even just the stuff, but the experiences that you can buy. Everything that you can use money to to acquire. All of that goes away and none of it lasts. And I mean, in a very physical way, he talks about it, it rusts, moths eat it. Thieves can steal it. It can be taken away from you. You can physically lose it. Everything you buy eventually will fade away. Absolutely no thing will last forever. But Jesus is talking about more than just the physical stuff. Because there's also this mental fading that happens with money and with things. And the best way I think to think about this, and I've used this example before, but I think it's very clear, especially if you're a parent, but honestly, even if you're not a parent, you can remember for yourself the day after Christmas. The day after Christmas should always remind us that stuff fades, because for three or four, or for some people, nine months leading up to Christmas, you've been making this list, and you've been telling your parents, I need this, I need this, this will make me happy. This is the thing, I have to have this thing. And on Christmas morning, you get it, And it makes you so happy and you're so excited. And you, oh, finally I have the thing. And the next day you need a different thing. Right? Because it only lasts for a short time. And and toy manufacturers figured this out. And they're so brilliant. Because what do they put in the package that toys come with? Advertisements for more toys. So as soon as you open up the one that you've always needed, you immediately see the other things that you need more right? Because, because the joy we get from getting stuff is not found in having it, it's in getting it. And so as soon as we get it, that joy begins to fade immediately. And we need to get something else to reignite that same joy. You know who's figured this out and does a really good job with it? Apple. Do you have an iPhone? 
If you have an iPhone, I'll bet you need a new iPhone, don't you? Don't worry, they're making new ones. They are, yeah. And, and if you get the new one, guess what? They're going to make another new one, right? And every time they come out with a new one, it's the perfect one. And you really need it. You really need it to replace that other perfect one you bought that now is, is junk, right? Because within a year, there's going to be a new iPhone every year. Now, Apple, Apple didn't invent that, right? That's always been true. We get stuff, we immediately want something new. Apple just capitalized on it in a really, really smart way to constantly remind us we want to replace our stuff. Because money fades. The joy that we get from buying, purchasing, experiencing things from money fades. The danger, though, is not that we don't realize that or believe that. I say that, you read that, you're like, yeah, I know that. Everybody knows that. We've all been to a garage sale. We know everybody eventually gets rid of everything. The problem is we keep thinking that the reason I'm not feeling joy isn't because everything fades. We keep believing the reason we're not feeling joy is because that thing fades. And we convince ourselves that if we can just get the right thing, then we'll finally be done. That the treadmill of always buying new stuff will eventually end when we buy that final thing. We believe there's a house that's good enough. We believe there's a car that's good enough. We believe there's a raise that's enough money. And there's not. And there's not. And there never will be. And no matter what you get, there will always be something else, something more. Jesus wants us to recognize there is no thing that can last eternally. And yet, we keep believing that. And we keep going after it. And part of the reason, a big part of the reason we keep believing that and keep going after it is because of the second problem with money. Money fades, but also money lies. Look at verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now, this is a confusing metaphor. And the first time I read this, I was like, what is he even talking about here? Okay. Um, so let me unpack the metaphor itself a little bit, and then I think you'll understand what this even has to do with money. Um, because he's saying it in the context of talking about money, but it sounds like he's talking about something completely different. In Jesus' day, when he talked about a lamp, we think of a lamp that like sits on your end table and you turn it on. And um, Jesus, when he's talking about a lamp, he's talking about something much more like what we would associate with a flashlight. Something that they would carry on a pole in front of them that would provide light for their path, that would illuminate their journey. And so your lamp was more than just a source of light for you to sit down and read. It was, the one, it was what helped you see the direction or the way that you needed to go. And what Jesus is saying the lamp of your body, the light, the source that shows you where to go in life, he says is the eye. And when he's talking about our eyes, what he's talking about is our focus, your vision, what you look to, to take in information, to take in light. What you see with your eyes is the source of the light that leads you on a certain path. And so Jesus says where you focus will determine the direction of your life. 
And so if what you're focused on is healthy, and the word healthy there can also be um, translated to mean singular, and so if you're focused, if your priorities are set on the right single thing, then your whole body will be full of light. And throughout Scripture, the word light is used as a metaphor for the truth. What Jesus is saying is this. If you focus on the right things, then your life will head in the right direction and you will understand and know the truth. But if your eye is bad or divided, if you're not focused on the right, on the truth, your whole body will be full of darkness. You will not know the truth. You'll be deceived. And if the light in you is darkness, if the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? There's lies all around us. There's untruth all around us. But if the untruth is in us, Jesus is saying in the most forceful way he can, that is an overwhelming deception. If, here's what Jesus is saying, if you are focused on money, you are by definition not focused on God. And if your focus, if, if what you look to, if what is feeding your mind all revolves around financial security, around material acquisitions, then you are being deceived. This is where money really gets us. Look, most of us don't really want money. Like money for money's sake, that's not the temptation. It's the symbol of what money gives us. Money tempts us to believe that it will provide us with security. And so we focus on and we follow after money because we believe that we need enough to know that there will never be any danger. If I can just get enough money, I will be safe. Money tempts us that it's going to provide us with prestige. So we focus on money. We look toward money. We have to get enough money because we need more so that others will see us and believe that we are valuable, that we have worth, that we have meaning. And money tempts us that, money tempts us that it will provide us with comfort. So we focus on money. I have to get enough money to be comfortable. And we work and we work and we work so that we can have enough money to not have to work. Because we believe if we can just get enough We can be comfortable and we can enjoy life. And we say things, because we're deceived, we say things like, look, look, I don't want to be rich. I just need a little more margin. We say things like, look, I'm not greedy. I just want my family to be more comfortable. And we deceive ourselves because we look to money to give us and provide us things that it cannot give. Money cannot give us those things. But we become blinded to that truth. We become blinded to the truth of what we really need to satisfy our deepest desires. We focus our eyes, we focus our minds on our net worth. And we become consumed with a lie. And as that deception seeps in, the most deceptive part of it is this. We believe that we can handle it. We're in control of it. But when we're finding our worth in our net worth, we aren't controlling our money. 
Our money's controlling us. And this is the third danger that Jesus warns us about. Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the opportunity cost when it comes to money. Money will control you if you put your trust in money. When your faith's in money, when you believe that financial security will support you, will take care of you, is all that you need, then you will do whatever you can, whatever you have to do to keep yourself secure, to keep yourself comfortable, to keep yourself in control. But you're not in control. You're being led. What does Jesus mean when he says you can't serve both? Why can't I do both? Why can't I love money and get a lot of it and also love Jesus and I still worship him and I still pray to him and I'm still thankful for all he's done for me? Why can't I do both? Because eventually, because eventually there's going to come a point in your, time, in your life where there's going to be a conflict. I don't, I don't know what that conflict will be for you. It could be a call to generosity. Maybe it's going to be leaving overtime or a promotion on the table. I don't know. Maybe it's going to be a call to love someone in the way God has loved you in a way that will inconvenience or even potentially hurt you financially. And when that time comes, you will have to know where are you putting your faith? Where are you putting your trust? You can't trust in both. Jesus says you'll either hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. One of them is going to consume your affections, either your finances or God. What Jesus wants us to hear is that if it comes to that choice, we need to understand and we need to remember that money is a cruel master. It will control you, it will lie to you, and then it will leave you. And I don't think that's a relationship any of us wants to be in. But again, the beautiful thing about Jesus' teaching is that he doesn't leave us there. Yes, Jesus says money is a a toxic relationship, but there is a better relationship. Money is a cruel master, but there is a good master, a better master. Look, money fades, but Jesus endures. Look again at verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. Treasure, the idea of treasure is not a bad thing. Rewards are not a bad thing. The question is, what kind of rewards, what kind of treasure are you pursuing? Are you pursuing ones that will go away, that will not last? Jesus says there's something much, much better. There's a reward, there's a treasure that will endure forever. Look at, if you you have um, your Bible, and if you would, turn to 1 Peter. It's over... Um, deeper into the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 1, um, the Apostle Peter writes about this same topic in a slightly different way, and I, I just want to look at this because it's so, he says it so explicitly and so well. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Peter's saying this, there is something you can hope in that is much better than hoping in money. And it's the hope we have in Jesus. The hope of a future with Him. And the hope of His love consuming our lives in a way that will never end, will never fade. And look at the words he uses. Imperishable, undefiled, unfading. Everything on earth fades away. This will never fade. We can count on it. And if our hope, if our faith, if our trust is in Jesus, then we can have good things, and good things can be that. They can be good. But we can keep them in the proper perspective. We can understand that these are not what is bringing me joy, and they never will bring me joy. So I can enjoy them without trusting them or relying on them to give me security and peace and significance. We can keep them in perspective because money lies, but Jesus is the truth. Only God can fill our lives with the light of the truth. If we're focused on money, if our vision is towards our finances, we will be deceived. But if our vision is on Jesus, he will lead us to the truth. Because he is the truth. Our peace, our joy, our security, our comfort can only come from him. He gave his life for us. He has proven his love for us. He made us. Everything that's good points to Jesus. He is the only worthy master for our hearts. We've said all along, and we started this message today, but we started this whole series by saying Jesus has authority. But the way he uses his authority is so vastly different than every other authority figure. Because Jesus doesn't use his power to gain more for himself. He already has everything. Jesus uses his power to love. Jesus uses his authority to invite us into relationship with him, to give us glory, to be generous towards us. He promises us the greatest treasure imaginable, his love. If we can get a hold of that, if we can understand and be moved by that, if we can understand, look, money controls. Jesus loves us. And when we understand that, when we allow that into our hearts, it transforms our lives. Look at verse 21. I skipped over it, but it's the core. I believe it's the core of this whole passage. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart, your desires, your love, the controlling essence of who you are rests in where you put your trust, where you put your hope, where you find your treasure. And if it's in money, your heart will go towards money. If it's in God, if it's in Jesus, then your heart will go towards God. 
and he will transform you. And he will give you a reward so much greater than anything money could offer, anything money could promise. But where does that leave us? I mean, like us, you and me in real life. Because this is, honestly, every week as we've been looking at Jesus' teaching, I feel like I kind of end up at the same spot, which is looking at myself and saying, I'm not there. Do I love Jesus? Yes. But I also find myself wanting stuff. I find myself following temporal things. I find myself seeking security and comfort and approval in what I own and what I can earn. So what do we do with that? I want you to look at 1 Peter again. Because he says something that I think is so important in this passage. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his what? Great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through what? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. How do we find our reward in God? What is the source of our treasure in Jesus? Is it our work? No. It's his work for us. Our victory is in his resurrection. Our acceptance is in his mercy. This is the biggest difference, the biggest difference between God and money as a source or a foundation for our faith. Money, you have to earn. Peace with God is given by his mercy. So if you're like me and you look at this and you say, I see that Jesus and I believe what you're saying, but I feel so torn. What Jesus is saying to you is, come to me anyway. Because the message is not fix yourself. The message is not divest yourself of all material concerns. The message is come to me recognizing the poverty of your own spirit. Confess your reliance and your trust in money. And Jesus will meet you there. And you can be free. You can be free from having to always look to stuff to give you what it cannot give you. You can be free. Jesus will meet you where you are. You don't have to fix yourself first and then go to him. You go to him with your sin, with your shame, with all of your divided attention and faith and distrust. You go to him and he meets you there. And he loves you. And he offers you the opportunity to be transformed. <clears throat> Look, I know, I know breaking up can be scary, right? When you've been in a relationship for a long time and it's all you know, when you're convinced that you're absolutely in love and it's hard to see the flaws of the one that you're in love with, it's really hard to take the step of ending that relationship. But Jesus is saying to us, it is time. It's time for us to end our toxic relationship with money. 
But the good news is this. As scary as that might sound, as much as we might think, I don't know what's on the other side, Jesus is saying, I'm on the other side. And I am so much better. And trusting in me is so much more fulfilling. And it's so much more life-giving. And it's so much more satisfying than anything you could ever buy. So the offer today, the question today, the invitation today is will you trust in what is better? Let me pray. And in a moment, we'll share communion together. Let's, let's all pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, God, you're so good to us. You love us. Even though we're unfaithful. Even though we run to other sources to look for approval, to look for love, to look for satisfaction, you love us anyway. So God, today, please lead our hearts to repentance. Please help us to turn from all these unreal, unsustainable desires that just leave us wanting more. Instead, God, please lead us to you to the one who can satisfy us, the one who can give us what we truly seek. God, please open our eyes. Light our eyes up with the light of your truth. Help us to follow you out of a joy, with a desire for a satisfaction that only you can give. In the name of your precious son, Jesus, I pray. Amen.